there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. I'm so excited to share this week's episode. So I interviewed Andrea Dalzell, who is a nurse, disability advocate. Turns out she is also an NP school, which I'm so excited about. And um, what we talked about is a really wonderful conversation about how to best support our patients with disabilities in primary care, how to have conversations with patients, things to say, things not to say, um, resources that are available, and um, why this is so crucial for us to talk about in primary care. And one snippet, spoiler alert, it's not really, but um, the true path to systemic change starts with inter individuals, individuals and interpersonal relationships. So um, without further ado, though, we'll, you'll hear more about it in the interview. Um, but here's my interview with Andrea Delzell. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, can you introduce yourself to the Real World NP community? Yes, my name is Andrea Dalzell, and I'm affectionately known as the seated nurse. I am the first registered nurse who uses a wheelchair to get through nursing school in the state of New York. That's been four years now. You know, it's crazy how time is flying, but you know, the word is out and, and more and more people with disabilities are coming into the profession day and day. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, we're, I'm just, I'm so happy you're here. Yeah. There are so many places we can go, but up. I think a place to start, like where, just to kind of get into the conversation, like where do we even start when it comes to talking about disabilities in healthcare, especially in the primary care setting, as most of the people that um, we serve with rural world NP are in primary care, but just generally speaking, what are your thoughts about that? Where do we start? That is the best question ever. You know what? It's kind of hard to always pinpoint where to start, but I think what we need to recognize first is language. Mm. Uh, we as a profession, use language that can literally make or break a person just by how we introduce something, right? A diagnosis, yeah. Yeah. Um, livelihood, changes that will happen. Mm -hmm. When you use very restricting language, like bound, wheelchair bound, it's mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. Am I, am I stuck to something for the rest of my life? Like what, yeah. what does that language really mean? We got to get to the nitty gritty of it and how we portray something to people because, yeah. you know, healthcare and science, we have this bad habit of, of just using the terminology without actually understanding what that means in the livelihood of it. Mm -hmm. So when I say like wheelchair bound, we notate wheelchair bound. Like I'm actually not bound to my wheelchair. My wheelchair doesn't sit in one place. It's not locked in. It's not, you know, it may have a seatbelt. It may have things to help me stay in the chair, but I'm not bound to it, right? Mm -hmm. When we say someone is bound to something, bed bound, home bound, we're emphasizing that this human is not living mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that we would see ourselves normally living. Mm, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes we got to change that narrative because when you're diagnosing someone and saying, well, this is the possibility that you may happen, you start to scare them away from what disability actually looks like. Disability is not a bad thing. It's human nature. Mm-hmm. Everyone in, in human nature is going to experience some form of disability at some point. So when we sugarcoat it and act like disability is this horrible thing we we shy away from it think about it as a death sentence it all comes down to wording and the wording really comes from healthcare first Mm. healthcare is the one that literally kind of notates documents and sends out Mm. to the rest of the world we send out the why you're medically absent from work we send out the reason why you need medical accommodation and that wording then plays into how other corporations and facilities and everyone else kind of utilizes the language Mm, oh my goodness oh my gosh I just (laughs) everything you said like I think that um I think especially for newer clinicians whether you're a nurse whether you're a nurse practitioner physician associate like I think that it can be so overwhelming to try to do your like do, like learn all the things you need to learn in school and do that do the medical stuff and so it's like it's hard to not get sucked into like wait what am i doing for a diagnosis what am i doing for a plan of care and to think about things like what language we use with people and also like it makes such an impact and like that's such a like such a point you made about the fact that like it's not just the way we talk to pa- to patients we talk to people and the relationships that we have and like how language really does influence our culture and the way that things change and and the supports we have like it, it starts at this interpersonal level or like internal level interpersonal institutions ideologies right and that like really all wraps in together but like the, i love the point you made about the fact that like initial diagnoses come from healthcare providers and like that yeah. language is just takes off yeah. so um what are some examples what are some examples of um language um you already gave like wheelchair bound bed bound like what are some of the other language pieces that um you see and that are like kind of like cringeworthy or just like substitutions like what is because it's 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 about the language but like the thing that underlies language at least this is how i feel is that it's the perspective it really changes your perspective so what are some of the what are some of the examples that you would say to for people to think about or watch out for well yeah we are not going to sugarcoat human need right nothing is special about human need it's human need you know, whatever that person needs to survive within their circumstance, situation, so forth. So we're not special needs, right? We're not going to say, we're, we do not say the word, the R word, and I will not say it on this podcast. Yeah. If you're using it, whether you're saying mental R, it's yeah. not correct. It yeah. shouldn't be removed from your vocabulary. Um, even someone who is a disabled special person, person with special needs, none of that we're not going to sugarcoat disability person first language is giving the person like this woman with a disability or this, this person with a disability, you're acknowledging that they're a person before they have the mm-hmm. disability is what we're really notating. And it, it kind of conforms with, with gender and, and just asking how a person wants to be described yeah. when you get introduced. the introduction happens whether you're getting that intake form from the front desk and you're ensuring that that Mm -hmm. intake form says you know first name last name preference name Mm -hmm. preference sex Mm -hmm. preference you know how would you like to be addressed it's how you kind of approach the situation whether you make the little change by seeing that it's not on your intake forms and then you're saying we need this on the intake form so that you're understanding how you're addressing 
for your patients. And then understanding that we're not going to sugarcoat whatever it is that is happening. Disability can suck. We know that and we can say that. So say that. We don't need to add anything to it. Like special need. Why? Why? You're human. This is your human need in this moment. And we have to make sure that you can get it. I'm not going to say that that's something special because it's not. It's what you need. Somebody else may need the same thing. But what when we label things special, bounded, we kind of seclude them from being a part of everyday life. Yeah. we wouldn't want that for ourselves. Yeah. So just kind of remember that part. Like at the end of the day, yes, we're talking about language and how we introduce it and how we want people to, to feel secure in how they interpret what we're saying. Yeah. But we also have to understand what we're actually saying has that impact. And would we want that for Mm -hmm. ourselves? Would we want to hear the words bounded or never will, or you're special now or mental are or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. anything that's cringeworthy mm-hmm. like we wouldn't want to hear it for ourselves if we were in that situation yeah. so it's kind of best to not label it but call it what it is yeah yeah and you know and you can always put a respect effort into that this is this yeah. is in no way meant to you know reflect any disregard to you but this is what we're seeing this is how we're going about it mm. how are you feeling comfortable mm-hmm. because the, at the end of the day if the patient's not comfortable then you're not going to get anywhere in your conversation or your language because that patient's going to be stuck on one thing. Yeah. That was yeah, absolutely. And that brings us to the some we had some questions from the real world NP um, community, and one of the questions was, um, I think that some, and I and I feel like I hear this is like I feel like people they want to um, give really excellent care to all of their patients. They want to be respectful when it comes to conversations about disability. And so their question, but they were feeling like uncomfortable. And so it's like their question was like, what would you recommend in terms of like respectfully discussing disabilities with a patient, especially like in the primary care setting? It doesn't have to be, but those are our primary kind of audience members, but how would you suggest to talk about in a respectful way, bringing up disability, especially if somebody hasn't brought it up to that person in the first place, that provider? Well, I think at the, at the beginning of it all is, is where your introduction starts. Yeah. Uh, if it's a new patient coming in, it's first time that you are, are dealing with this patient, you, you ask, you ask the whole history, just like if yeah. anyone else would. And then yeah. My diagnosis is transverse myelitis. It's a neurological inflammation of the spinal cord. It affected me. I'm an incomplete paraplegic. When I go and I see a new primary care doctor and I write that diagnosis down, my hope is that when I go into the room, my doctor doesn't have to know what my diagnosis, like what that particular disease process is, Mm. but I hope that when I'm going into that room and I'm meeting with that position, that NP for the first time, uh, that they're asking me, how does it affect my life? Mm, Not what they know, Mm -hmm. not what they read or assume. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. going to ask me, how does transverse myelitis affect your day-to-day activity? Mm -hmm. I want to hear what you're telling me because as a nurse, when I'm doing my assessments and when I'm going through, I'm looking at the whole picture, right? Because nursing, we're holistic, we're taking into account everything that's happening. So now I've never seen you before. I'm doing an intake on you and I want to know how does this 
process affect you? Mm. Just like if someone has diabetes coming into the room and you know that their sugar is like in the 800s and you're asking them, well, what did you eat for breakfast? Yeah, totally. Did you take your insulin? Right. (laughs) Same question that I'm going to ask someone that's presenting to me with some type of physical disability. Can you tell me how your day-to-day life is affected? That way I can now start to have a baseline. Yeah you know, of what happens throughout your day, what happens throughout your weekly, monthly, yearly, so that at Mm -hmm. the very beginning, primary care, that's what we're at, Mm -hmm. is going to say, well, no, something is off. She's not, her heart rate's now elevated. Her Mm -hmm. BP hasn't been down. There's something that we need to adjust, especially for wheelchair users or persons like that have quadriplegic or who are tetraplegic who go through traumatic brain injury or CVAs or paraplegia all of these are all encompassing so yes I'm talking from the person with using a wheelchair but I'm really encompassing all disability here because again disability can affect anyone whether you're talking about the person with diabetes who had an amputation whether you're talking about the person who had a CVA whether you're talking about the mom who had a cesarean who had maybe other complications who are now going back into the work field who are dealing with scar issues or or other things happening this is all encompassing of disability that we don't think of we think of what we see visually what about those patients that are even who have invisible disabilities right yeah, where we don't even know what their day to day affects are because we don't understand what that disease process is doing for them day Absolutely. in, day out. Absolutely. But we know what the diagnosis is. So we assume that they're automatically in that. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is what you're doing. But livelihood and diagnoses are not the same. Yeah. At the very base basics of primary care, we need to know what those diagnoses are doing to that person day mm-hmm. in and day out. Absolutely. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of, so I think some experiences, it seems like there's a bit of um, a process, right? Like for some, I've I've had some people where they have like some sort of um, neurological condition, for example, and they get progressively like less function over time. Um, And they're really kind of grappling with disability um, of like calling it disability, like using that language. Do you have any thoughts or guidance like around that or just yeah, just any sort of reflection about, I don't know if you if you see that a lot or if you had any recommendations about that. I guess I'm just thinking about a particular well, patient having a hard time with calling it disability and, and receiving assistive, assistive yeah, support. We are human and our, our human design is to believe that we are invincible. <laughs> Nothing will happen to us. And you know when that, that hits the fan? When you sit in a doctor's office or an NP's office and they give you some diagnosis that you were just not expecting to get and your world turns upside down. And here's where we backtrack to language. Mm -hmm. How are we presenting what disability looks like? And then Mm -hmm. with our own language and our own interpretation going back out into the world, because like I said, this is the circle that we're in. Healthcare drives the narrative. Mm -hmm. NPs, Mm -hmm. primary care particularly drive the narrative to the outside world, Mm. what other corporations, facilities, institutions are reading on that paper, what you can and cannot do based on disability, right? What that person can do in their livelihood. 
Yeah. And that turns into representation. Are we seeing people with disabilities in media? Are we seeing that in our everyday lives? Or are we still continuing the narrative that a person is wheelchair bound, so they're going to stay home? That this person has this new diagnosis, and because it's going to get progressive, they should already start to rest and not be a part of their livelihood instead of being pushed to see what they can continue to do for how long they can continue to do it with the right supports in place. Mm-hmm. So that's one end of that. That person grappling is because of the fact that they don't know what to expect. They don't know what to look for. They don't know what to even ask for. Yeah. So saying disability, it's like, wait a minute, I'm not disabled. I can still do it. Right, right. That's but at the same point. time, disabled doesn't mean that you can't do something. It's because yeah. our language is determining that you cannot do something, not that you cannot. That's so true. Yeah. We're talking to people. We have to remember that if we're presenting something that may be disabling at some point, you're saying to them, disabled is not a bad thing. We're getting you the supports that you need to continue your livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Disabled doesn't mean you cannot. Disabled means that we're going to get you the supports to continue. Yeah. Right. But comes to language it comes to how we present it it become if we present it as a negative it's going to continue to be a negative versus if we present it as a human need and we're meeting your need Mm -hmm. great we're here for you and and now you feel supported and now you can open up to us and tell us that your next appointment that this is working this isn't working and now we can actually Mm -hmm. hear and do better yeah oh my gosh i get i'm like really emotional actually just like hearing you talk about that because like i don't know what it is but i think like so i did an interview recently with somebody uh, a diabetes nurse practitioner and she was talking and i love the way she described this i think that there's like a couple things that it's bringing up for me like one is that um there's there's a lot of it's not only the language we use, but like, what does that language mean to that person? Like, I think that's really the thing that's coming through here is like, it's really just about like assumptions. What is your knowledge base? And like, use your knowledge base as like the nurse, as the nurse practitioner, as the provider. And like, what assumptions are you making about that person? Or what is that, what assumptions is that person making about what that means, what you told them, right? There's, seems like there might be a breakdown there. But the other thing that reminds me of is in that conversation, we were talking about starting insulin for patients who have diabetes is, can, I think a lot of people, my anecdotal experience is that they tend to um, get really discouraged and feel like they did something wrong or they failed or, you know, like it's just this discouraging, like, oh, like not good feeling. And like, I just love the language that she used was about like, when she explains it to people, it's like, okay, well, there's a hammer for hammering needs and then there's screwdrivers for screwdriver needs, right? Like you just use the tool that you need for your right. needs, right? Like, and it's just, it's just, it's matter of fact, it's plain. It's like, okay. Like, I think, I think it's just like what you're saying is so highlighting. We just have this like norm, um, like this cultural norm, like in healthcare in the US, like talking about dis- disability as being like this negative thing, this other thing but like really it's just everybody has needs and what are the needs that they have and how do we support them as like a whole human so I just I really appreciate you saying that and it's just it's so great (laughs) thank you um well I have a question here so um so another question this kind of ties into is what uh, a question from the real world community is what barriers do you think could be um, removed to make primary care more accessible one barrier, multiple barriers, like any barriers that you can point to um, specifically in primary care that could be removed? 
Well, yeah, as an assistant nurse manager in a primary care facility right now, I can tell you, and I'm in a medical desert, so that that goes to tell you as well um, Mm. what my resources may be. Um, I'm limited, but I have people who are coming into my facility with CVAs and strokes and TBIs Mm. and paralysis and everything under the sun. And Mm. I go into my clinic and my clinic doesn't even have waiting uh waiting rooms that are significant space to be able to hold a wheelchair a walker or mobility devices mm-hmm. right your waiting rooms are so packed with chairs that where does a mobility device live yeah think about that part uh, that's just this is, is your facility even uh, like set up to withhold absolutely. mobility devices or is it really absolutely. just set up for healthy people to walk in they be seen mm-hmm. right what about your your rooms i think about just the basic oh my gosh, the structure the of a room <laughs> Okay. We don't think about these things. Mm -hmm. I worked in a hospital system where when I was going on shift, the person that was coming off shift, I would pull them and ask them to help me reset my room because I'm in a wheelchair and I need to make sure that I can get around the room easily. Totally. I'm in primary care now and I go into one of my exam rooms and I'm like playing Tetris between the bed, the chairs, the the stirrups, like everything is everywhere. The, The scale, the the garbage can it's like you got to get things out the room just yeah. to be able to move around yeah as yeah. a primary care provider now if I have another patient with the mobility device who comes in with an aid who maybe can't get up on the bed because the bed doesn't go up and down yeah. who can't get on the scale because the scale is only for someone who can step up these are basics basic I'm gonna say it just keeps going <laughs> <laughs> it's basic things when you get into how about getting into the office are you near a, a transportation do you offer parking is your parking lot with accessible spots for wheelchairs or walkers or canes or yeah. or service animals to be able to get out when they come into your waiting room you know is there height adjusted seats so yeah. that someone who may not be able to bend too low can still sit down yeah you know these are all these are basic things that I'm thinking about yeah but that's just the basic access to primary care not even specialty service so for me to find a primary care provider that's not OBGYN that's not even hematology that's not urology it's just my doctor who I need to see make sure that my blood work looks good (laughs) and if I need to see a specialist I can go right yeah the basics the basics for prescriptions, like why do our patients not come into the office to see us before they end up in the ER? Yeah. Because the ER is accessible. The oh. ER is accessible. It's so true. It's so right? true. So those are things you've got to think about. Like why are patients, why are we not getting patients? How do we get more patients? How do we even ensure that we are, are free for them to come in? It's just the barriers. Are your websites accessible? Can someone who is visually impaired or hearing impaired access your stuff? Mm-hmm. we don't think about these things because it's not incorporated into our learning mm-hmm. the language isn't a part of our learning we're yeah. not when we talk about disability we're thinking about okay they may not be able to walk we may not be able to talk they may have aphasia they may you know all of these things but we're not thinking about the livelihood now how do they get into the office is there transportation can they come into the can I get them on a scale can I weigh them a lot of our calculations are based off of weight yeah. And I can tell you that 
the amount of patients that don't get weighed in just primary care. Is- I was going to say, I mean, I think that's, that's, I see this all the time. And it's just like, when have we gotten a weight in this person? They have heart failure. This is really important. Like it's important regardless, but it's like, it's like, wow, that's really horrible. Yeah. And, and, and that's just basic, right. Or even just to get onto an exam table. Yeah. Does the exam table come down? Do you at least have one exam that can come down up and down so that if someone can't get up, can we still do a a physical assessment on them and get something good? Again, like I said, I'm paraplegic. I'm an incomplete. I cannot stand. So when I'm inspecting doctor's offices or consulting, I'm often looking for what their assessment intake would be for like someone like me coming into the room. So if I get up on that table, can I turn left and right? Can you do a skin check, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what's happening in primary care. You should be doing a skin check on someone who has, you know, neuropathy or paralysis because you should be making sure that the skin integrity is good for the long term. Yeah doesn't happen either especially if there's a weight discrepancy now I've seen you six months you've gained some weight you're sitting in a chair I may need to order a new chair and I can't get you on a table and I don't have a weight oh that's so painful it's so painful because it's like no it's just it's it's subpar care that's that's not okay (laughs) but how can it be subpar care if the basics of your information that you learn doesn't include it I know I know. Right. The basics of what we learn, especially in like NP school, like I'm in NP school now. So Yay! Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I didn't know that. Oh my God, amazing. Oh, that's a that's a special release for this podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Finished my master's in nursing education and now I'm in NP school. So, you know, I got these textbooks and I'm like looking through it and I'm like trying to like see what they're saying and you know, understanding just the basics and absorbing it. And I'm like, wait a minute. We don't even talk about disability at this level either. Like it's not integrated into what a diagnosis would be. It's not integrated Um, into what my assessments would be. Um, And I'm like, so do I need to complete like a whole new assessment? Like what would be a great assessment for for these particular categories? And a lot of people say, well, that's in specialty. And I'm like, do you know what the wait list for specialty is right now Mm. in America? Do we know what insurances are putting up against seeing specialists in general? Mm-hmm. This is where primary care really can can integrate into community health and yeah. say, we have thought about these things and we're implementing yeah. them and really pushing the American boards to say, mm-hmm. you know, specialty care starts with, with primary care. Yeah. And, and we have to be able to do these assessments and we have yeah. to be able to have basic access to yeah. be able to do these assessments. Definitely. Definitely. Oh my gosh. That's so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess the way that I'm thinking about it too, is like, I have this systematic approach. I shared with you, I have ADHD. And mm-hmm. I think that that helps me like do the same thing in the same way every single time. And so when I think about assessing with disability, I'm thinking about how do I approach like eye pain? Like how do I approach a cough? Like what is that differential, excuse me, differential diagnosis, but also like what are the assessment pieces? And like, right. that is like a very clear opportunity in there of like, okay, you have somebody who uses this assistive device. What is your checklist of things that you're going to assess for that person? How, what yeah. questions do you want to ask? Like, what is the metric that you're going to measure? And it's just, it's like, as we're talking about, it's like, of course this should be in the curriculum, right? Like, this is so easy. Just do it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and again, it's not just for someone who is a paraplegic. Like we can also yeah. attribute someone who may have 
uh, a CVA who's now coming in who may have had tetraplegia or quadriplegia or hemiplegia and maybe their hand function is is lessened and they're and they're constantly in clenched fist maybe we should be saying they should be using a stress ball or getting fitted for a brace and while they're waiting for a brace they should be doing this right Uh, like these are all the things that we should be thinking about just in Mm -hmm. primary assessment Mm -hmm. definitely definitely before you leave us let's make sure that we have this in place yeah Totally, totally. Um, and uh, that that makes me think of we had a couple of questions, um, and we had a couple. You and I had a couple of thoughts about this. Um, we had a specific question about workplace accommodations. Like this person has a neurological condition um, that is progressive and has concerns about just navigating that for themselves um, in terms of what that looks like. Maybe starting with that, and then we can talk more about like what are some things people don't know about workplace accessibility and like resources. So maybe the first the first question to start is about like what are workplace accommodations like what does that mean what does that usually look like so workplace accommodations literally is to make sure that you can do the job with the at the capability that you're able to how you show up it's not giving someone a leg up it's not you know making someone's job easier yeah that's not what an accommodation is an accommodation is so that they can actually do the job the way that they can and in the capacity that's safe and and you know a lot of we use this negative term around, around accommodations or workplace accommodations. Like, what does that mean? Like, do I need to get, anyone can get it at any point in time. And I love to reference a woman who has had a baby who now comes back to work, who may be on a pumping schedule, yeah. right? And, oh. and she needs to get those workplace accommodations so that she can take that half an hour at a pump every two to three hours, Right. Is that really an accommodation? Uh, I'm a woman. I'm going to say, no, that's not an accommodation. That is a very necessary need that needs to happen. But for the patriarchy, yes, that's an accommodation. And that doesn't give that person a leg up in their job. That's meeting their need so that they can continue to do their job. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what we have to meet first. We're meeting human need. Mm -hmm. Healthcare workers are not synonymous with being healthy. Mm-hmm. Not because we're healthcare workers means that we have to be a hundred percent healthy. Yeah. The narrative is false. And when we continue to perpetuate that narrative, we put a stress onto us that is unobtainable and a, a sense of perfection that yeah. will never be achieved mm-hmm. because we're human beings at the end of the day. And we have human need, like mm-hmm. our nurses that are going through, I don't mud right now in, in Fort Lee mm-hmm. and in Florida. You know, we're right after Hurricane Ian and these nurses and these healthcare professionals have shown up and lost everything and continue to take care of other patients while their human need is is at the bottom of that their priority list. But they're working through trauma. And if we were really to consider that as a profession, we would say that their accommodations would that they would take a month off after all of this, right? That would be a decent accommodation to say after you work through 13, 14, 15 days post a hurricane where you've lost everything possibly family that you take some time for you yeah and accommodation is making sure that your needs are met but you know we're again in a capitalist society and you know what I say is the pipe dream but that doesn't mean that we can't advocate for it and it doesn't mean that we can't advocate for our needs to be met yeah our workplaces whether we have a disability or we don't Yeah. Again, and I love to say this, disability does not discriminate. It is one of the class systems that anyone and everyone can join at any given point. (laughs) 
It does not discriminate, yeah. right? We are the yeah. fastest and largest growing majority in the world. Okay, yeah. we have 1.8 billion people who who self-identify with a disability, let alone those that do not identify, right? So yeah. if you have the opportunity to join at any given point in time, then you need to also remember that someone who is meeting you in the place that you're at is deserving of any accommodation yeah. to allow them to be human and live. Yeah. So that doesn't matter whether we're in healthcare or not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like such, it's such big stuff because this is such like a cultural movement conversation. Like it's really, Ooh, it's just, it's, it's so much like it's, it's really like, it's all rooted in that. Right. Cause I think that people, I think the, the question, if I'm reading the subtext there is that there is a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear of like, how do I navigate this? I'm going to get pushed back. Like you were saying of like, you know, it's, it's a leg up, like there's this negative connotation with it. So it's, um, it's really, it is, it is really tough. Um, one of the things that you had, had brought up before is talking about, um, uh, I believe it was, ta- you were talking about ADA resources or you were talking about like, what is it that people don't know about whether it's workplace accommodations or accessibility? Like, what is it that people don't know that you like wish that they knew? Oh, that your job is not where you stop. if your job says no go up (laughs) go up (laughs) listen you know and and this started for me since nursing school um I got into nursing school based on merit Mm -hmm. and then when I was in nursing school I was told like orientation level told that I wouldn't be able to be a nurse because of my wheelchair and you know, going into the hospital system, infection control, and not being able to do CPR and all of these assumptions. And I had to prove a point that I could do it. And please don't put this assumption on me. And I went through school without an accommodation. And that was harder on me to not ask because I didn't want the the, the notion that I couldn't do something. Yeah. And you weren't going to say, well, she could do it because of an accommodation. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I had to shift my own narrative. Wait a minute accommodation isn't a bad thing. If I need 10 minutes extra time, then I need 10 minutes extra time. If I get 20 minutes to go use the bathroom every two hours, then I am given my 20 minutes to go use the bathroom because everyone else can go to the bathroom and not have to worry about it, where I may have to go find an accessible stall on some next level floor, right? Remember that your human need is the most basic thing that you have to meet in order to show up as your true self at any job. Mm-hmm. So you asking for an accommodation is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the job force that may say no to you because they don't want to pay for your accommodation or implement your accommodation or saying that it is too burdensome, go above them, file a report, put in those reports with the ADA, put in those reports with JACO, put in those reports with, with a commissioner of your state, put in those reports with the EEOC, which is the Equal Opportunity Employment um, commissions like do not allow for corporations facilities or institutions to tell you that they cannot meet your human need mm-hmm. for you to be able to work yeah if you still can work and you have the ability to do so don't let someone say that you can't yeah absolutely absolutely so I like to ask people who are a specialist in some way, uh, when I do these interviews of, from your paradigm of your specialty, what is, what is like a pet peeve that you have, or what is something that you wish primary care providers knew? Ooh, 
everything. I, I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> go for it. So fo- this is so fox right? time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take textbook gag, but like honestly, my pet peeve is just like when you're filling out these forms, and and like I understand that some people are gonna come in and you get inundated with forms, and that you know you automatically are assuming they can't do something where you're going to put down like you know unable to reach unable to stand yeah. you know because that's what these forms are asking how long could they stand uh, for how yes. long can they reach? right yes. can you not say that I cannot stand like I sit down perfectly fine standing is not the option here for me right I can sit for 12 hours but if you say I can't stand my job automatically thinks I can't do the job right uh, like this is where this is like I have to get mm. paperwork done like to a t because it has to go based on what my ability is not based on what the wording is right and the wording's gonna say the wording's ableist the, the paperwork is ableist paperwork is coming at you as can you be this super pu- perfect human are you 100 percent quote unquote normal right normal so can you stop trying to fill out paperwork as though someone is fitting the box of normalcy that doesn't exist yes exactly if they can stand like what is the job for how long are they standing should they be standing for six hours or 12 hours anyway (laughs) do you think that that's okay no it's not okay right the norms are the messed up thing like the norm the cultural norms of what's expected is the is the thing that's messed up yeah it's really messed up but then we Mm. we we the pet peeve is that we we enforce those cultural norms by how we continue to address them just by paperwork and I understand that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. we, we have what, 10 minutes to see a patient, 15, if we're lucky, yeah. Yeah. you know, 30 minutes, if it's an annual exam, I get it. And I hear you guys. And I know that it's hard to tack on more, but we're not tacking on more. We're changing our language. Mm-hmm. We're starting at the basic level of access by saying, mm-hmm. tell me what you do in your livelihood. And I'm going to make sure that this translates and as I see you every six months to a year, because that's primary mm-hmm. care, if anything changes off that baseline, we can reassess and we can change the forms to such mm-hmm. to meet your needs and get you the accommodations you need. Totally. Right. So that's my pet peeve. My pet yeah. peeve. And I'm giving you the pet peeve. Yeah. Change your language. <laughs> Go by their livelihood. And, and like, please, for the love of God, do not say wheelchair bound. Do not say down <laughs> on <laughs> Strike that off. Right out of your life. We're not handicapped. You know, we're not, we're not special needs. We're not mm-hmm. bound, right? We're disabled humans. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything special about us. It's just we need things that are going to make our lives just as easy as it is for you to be able to say, I'm standing up. Totally. totally well I have one quick question about forms yeah Um, so it sounds like like the form itself is problematic right Um, of course and the place that the language starts is in primary care which influences right everything out in like the world outside of primary care so like Mm -hmm. what what um what adjustments do you recommend um primary care providers who are trying to provide assistive support or um whatever accommodations that they need at their workplace like what is what is like a positive way to impact that from the provider perspective like a way of answering it or any any thoughts there i think this is where we come back to that initial that initial intake 
What does that initial intake form look like in your yeah. practice, whether it's private, whether it's in, you know, with an insurance company, what does that intake form look like? Because then you're going to see what the patient is trying to address for themselves, mm-hmm. right? So you're asking them their pronouns, you're asking them what they want to be called by, you're asking them, you know, how do they address their own diagnoses? How do they address their disability? Are they paraplegic? Are they, are they a wheelchair user? Are they a cane user, walker user, whatever? They're going to put that language on their intake form first. Mm-hmm. You're just asking, how do you address your own disability? Mm-hmm. you identify as, as a person with a disability if they check off yes then you're asking you know the next part is um how do you identify with your disability mm-hmm. wheelchair user walker cane user whatever the case is because that intake form is then going to pro give you the basic information in their own profile whether you're on epic which i love epic or any other uh programming that you use for that for your patient information, it's going to be there. You're going to see how they address themselves first. Now with their baseline assessments, can they bend? Can they stand? Can they reach above their head? These are things we squeeze. We have our patients squeeze our fingers to make sure that their hands are the same, right? We check their feet for neuropathy. We, we check their ears. The same thing goes for someone who has some type of physical issue. If you're sitting down and you're using a wheelchair, um, are you able to push yourself all the time? Do you do all your groceries on your own? Are you able to cook? What needs aren't being met that you need to have met that we haven't discussed? Mm-hmm. It's having that conversation with the yeah. patient. Yeah. Because then when you're filling out those forms and it says, do you stand for 10 hours? You can cross out 10, stand, say sit, and you can say, yes, can sit fine for 12 hours, right? Because totally. you're the medical professional that understands that my body can sit for 12 hours and it doesn't totally. need to necessarily stand up. Right, right. Which a non-medical person in a workplace setting may not be able to understand. Right. Um, but that's how you, that's how the, the narrative changes on the paperwork. Yeah. Because now I'm not just saying cannot stand. Yes. It, right. It cannot stand. That's yeah. it. Yep. Ability is done. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> cannot yes. see. It's not cannot like, see. it's not affirming. It's just right. negative. It's yeah. just saying it isn't, but this is where technology also impacts healthcare care. And we we may not know what's out there, but we know how the person lives day to day. And that's just in basic Mm. primary assessment. We know how you live. We know how you're able to do something. We we assess every six to six months to a year. Yeah. We know something's changing. So if your paperwork needs to change, we change it. Yeah. Yeah. You can no longer There's no baseline. It doesn't really feel like there's a baseline assessment. Like it's very problem based where it's like, okay, you have visual impairments, you have hearing impairments, right? But it's not like, that's not a, that's not a routine part of our schooling or our practices really of like, everyone should have that. Right. And then it's just a normalized thing of like, everyone has a physical, like all of these different assessments. And then what assistance do do people need? Because everyone's going to need a, something right and it's just a it's just a gradation piece versus like an exception or an afterthought or you know like the way it's treated at least now right but and then in primary care that's exactly how it works right okay yeah. i see you come in you're holding your arm it can't stretch out we should probably send you for an x-ray x-ray comes back inconclusive we send you to a specialist yeah but that's exactly how it works yeah. it's we're not we're not doing anything different we're yeah. just Expanding on where we're at for those that are coming in with different needs because normally we don't include their needs into our notes in primary care. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much for this. Are there any other kind of like parting pearls of practice, words of wisdom, or um, any, uh, if you want to share where people can find you? Uh, yeah. So all my social media handles are at the seated nurse. Perfect. And we'll have that down below in the description. Yeah. That's it. It's at the seat nurse by me. You can Google me. Um, but my parting words to anyone that has a newly acquired diagnosis or disability, or if you feel overwhelmed listening to this, like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. just take a second and realize that we're not talking about anything other than human need and, and, and human needs being met. And as medical professionals, we get to firsthand see care for, treat, and be the person that sees these people in their most vulnerable state. So yeah. we have the impact and the narrative to help them so long as we keep it positive and not always just put a negative connotation over it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. Well, mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you so much again. I so appreciate it. Yes, Liz, thank you so much for having me. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.